If you are among the millions that participate in the Thrift Savings Plan, you've probably heard about or maybe seen firsthand some of the challenges as TSP rolled over to a new system earlier this month. The Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board says it's making some progress to resolve issues like customer service delays. By now, most TSP participants have successfully logged into the new My Account. But the problems don't end there. Here with more, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Drew, what were some of the issues they had? Was the TSP board surprised by this because this has been in the works for more than a year and a half? The FRTIB did say that they were expecting a bit of a bumpy road at their last board meeting just before the launch of the Converge update. But on Tuesday, they had their first board meeting since the rollout, and they said that it's gone far beyond the expectations for issues that they were trying to anticipate leading up to this. So T. Ramos, the director of participant services at Tuesday's board meeting, talked more about that. We also anticipated this transition as most are would be bumpy. However, it's at this time, some of our participants are facing more difficulties than we expected. Specifically, after GoLab, many participants had trouble logging in the first couple of days. And we've had extremely high volume at the call centers, which has meant long delays to speak with representatives. I want you to rest assured that we are working with our vendor to remedy these problems as quickly as possible and help those who need it. Yeah, not being able to log on could be kind of scary since your whole retirement nest egg is in there. It makes you wonder if the nest egg is still there. And so what are some of these major problems that are resulting in all of these delays or difficulties logging in and reaching people for help? They did say that although a lot of people, like you just mentioned, had trouble logging in in the first place. Some of that has been resolved. They've seen about 95% of participants who've tried to log in be successful. But the biggest problem that has just really persisted through this whole thing has been their customer service. They just have had a huge call volume and that's resulted in long wait times. It initially started with participants struggling to log in and that kind of fed into it. You know, if you're trying to log into something and you can't, you're likely going to call customer service. That's going to result in the long wait times. But now participants are saying that they're having other issues too, not able to access some of their older financial history or account statements, some issues or concerns about loans, not being able to designate a beneficiary in their account. The board did say that they've seen a slight decline in the call volumes, but they are still very far from where they need to be. And basically, just to review, this was a project where they moved all of their access and hosting to the cloud. What they did was they rolled over what is called the record keeper. So basically, the data system that is holding all TSP participants' names, addresses, contributions, loans, earnings, withdrawals. There's just a lot of stuff that they had to move over. It was for 6.6 million participants. And so it's just a huge amount of data. Um, Also, fund allocations, financial history, personal information, like I said. So it's something that has been They've been planning for a year and a half, and this was the ultimate launch of a very long project. They were expecting, as I said, some issues, but it's been a lot more than they anticipated. And did they just drop it all at once, one day flip over, or were there a test period where they could have anticipated some of this? They were planning to roll out some of the information in phases. So they started with only the most recent financial history or finances for TSP participants. Then they moved to 2022 year-to-date contributions. 
than to participants being able to see back 10 years of their financial history. But now the last piece that participants are still saying that they're not able to see is just anything beyond 10 years ago. That's something that the board has said that you can request by calling customer service. But again, those lines are really backed up. But they've also said that they have all that information in store. It's just a matter of this is a really big undertaking and they're trying to roll it out slowly and as securely as possible. Well, what a great time, too, when people are checking their balances because of the stock market situation. So what are they doing now to try to solve all of this? What are what are some of the updates going on? What they said at the board meeting on Tuesday was that they have so far staffed up more than 300 customer service staff members since launching the update. So that's a total of 800 members, which means that they've increased by 66%. That's the highest that they've ever had for Thriftline. But as T. Ramos said at the board meeting, it's still not enough. Our wait times are continuing to decline and our abandonment rates are continuing to decline, but we're nowhere near where we need to be. So to that end, our vendor is continuing to add staff. And so we will have likely 100 more agents online within the next week. And we'll be continuing to add staff until we get to where we need to be. Yeah, it makes you wonder how this vendor stock is doing. And by the way, why did they do this in the first place? Basically, they said that the old system was a bit fragmented. They had multiple vendors that the board owned, maintained, and operated all of these systems. But they also said the old system was slow, outdated, and it wasn't scalable. So that was the problem that was growing with having more participants joining the TSP. This launch has kind of been multiple years in the making. They said that it was six years ago that they started analyzing different ways that they were going to think through, like how to change and modernize the system, make it more secure, and also add things like a mobile app, which is something that a lot of participants have wanted. T. Ramos at the meeting talked a bit about all of the stuff that they were doing at once in this big launch. What we were trying to accomplish here was to replace the FRTIV's core record-keeping system, open new thrift line and contact center with new technology, establish new agency and payroll secure processes and portals, introduce new services and features, security standards and plan changes, and introduce a new website to support the new functionality. And along with all of this, we were we are receiving enhanced data analytics and reporting. All right, so they bit off a lot. And while we have you, the mutual fund window, that also launched recently. What's the take-up been for that? That's been interesting, Tom. They On the same day as everything else, they also added 5,000 mutual funds that participants have the option to enroll in. So far, they've seen exactly 879 participants who have put money into the mutual fund window. Out of millions of TSP participants, that is a small number, but it's hard to say what those numbers will look like in the long term. Part of the reason from a survey that we did on why participants might not be enrolling it is they said that there's extra fees associated with it. And so maybe it's a cost-benefit analysis. But the board did say that it is completely optional and anyone who doesn't enroll, it won't affect their administrative expenses or anything like that for other participants. Sign up then. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Be sure to check out her reporting about all of the TSP issues at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. 
I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader, and what about them inspired you? You know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League play- baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, 
it was all about the people. And so I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on the results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards, two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense. And I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi- historical to current current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.